Hey everyone, welcome back to Cart Overflow. I'm your host, Dan Frugkowit. And today we're talking with Jordan West, who has a lot of titles, one of which is founder of Upgrowth Commerce. Another, you're running Little and Lively and a handful of e-commerce brands. And I particularly love this because you are you know, in the weeds, running a brand, growing a brand, big brands, and then also working on the agency side to help other brands. So you have a, a really unique perspective of the micro and the macro. Jordan, how's it going today? Hey, good. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I, I love coming on other people's podcasts as well as hosting our Secrets to Scaling Your E-commerce brand. So this is fun. I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, for sure. We actually, you know, I, I forgot to mention this, but we have in common the experience of running a, a food brand. It sounds like you bought a franchise and I saw that the first day you had like three people in or something. And I was yes, doing yes, yes, delivery. That's right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh man, you, 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 don't take heed to people who are saying it's a labor of love. You better love it because it's not fun. It's <laughs> it's a grind. E-commerce can be as well, but there's a big upside and, and, and maybe we're experiencing some of that. So I thought maybe we could start with just a, an introduction of your experience and, and what brings you here today, having run these brands in the agency. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it back to my, my restaurant days. So you know, we were losing so much money, especially comparatively to, to where we are now. I think throughout the time we lost about $120,000, but I was 23 years old at the time. Like that is a lot of money to lose at that age. Right. And we were just trying to figure out like, okay, how do we survive? And, and so, you know, through this, I was able to sell the restaurant, which is great. My wife started to make leggings for kids. She, she saw a need in the market for leggings that actually fit over top of diapers and cloth diapers in particular. We were trying cloth diapering with our first child and we're like, oh, okay, we need leggings that actually fit over top. My wife had done fashion design school and had been in fashion design for a long time. So making leggings is super simple for her and people loved them. They just absolutely loved them. And then from there, this business just kind of grew and grew and grew. And that was, I think, 2014, 2015. It just kind of continued to grow and it's grown into now four different brands all under one big umbrella. And uh, we've done, you know, multiple eight figures of sales with that particular company and just grown to a really great place where we're actually now taking on investors, which is really interesting. A lot of people kind of go the other way. And right now we're a really solid brand that wants to, we want to open up a bunch of flagship retail across Canada to start in some of the major centers. And so, so we're taking on an investment round right now, which is incredibly exciting. Something I've never done before. We've bootstrapped every single one of our businesses. So yeah, that's, that's some of the sort of exciting stuff that's going on right now. For sure. So yeah, you're, you're mentioning that you have a 10,000 square foot facility, retail outlets, but e-commerce is a big channel for acquisition to grow the brand, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, interestingly, when, when I think of retail, I actually think of it as another marketing channel. I, I think of it as a marketing channel that hopefully makes it a little bit of money as well. I love e-com. E-com is, is really the sort of central place where I want people to come. Interestingly, when we think about retail from a wholesale perspective, not flagship retail, about 17% of the people who come to our website have actually found out about us through a retail location. So really great driver of business while also getting the brand out there and making money. Right. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about like your framework of growing it specifically in the online side in e-commerce. And it sounds like you have, you have three main focuses and maybe this is reflected through your agency, but the first is acquisition. So getting new customers, then yeah. you have retention. So how do you get that existing customer to buy again? And that's probably a focus on the post-purchase and the product itself. Yeah. And then the loyalty part of it. So can you give uh, 
because I, I just know this from a surface level, but maybe a, a little bit more detail on what that looks like, especially as it reflects on Little and Lively or, or your brands that you're running. Absolutely. So let me walk you through a framework here that I learned years ago from the guys at Digital Marketer, Ryan Dye. Absolutely love this framework, the, the customer value. There's levels one through five. So one is they know absolutely nothing about you right? Level two, they've engaged with your brand in some sort of way. Level three, they've actually taken some action and viewed a product, right? And they've, they, they're now actually looking at a product. You can picture somebody going into a store and actually physically holding a product, feeling it. Four is they've actually now taken some initiative. They put something into their basket or added to cart online. Number five is they've purchased. That's where most brands, I would say 99.9% .9 of brands stop. Awesome. We've done our job. We got to level five. They've purchased. Awesome. The, the product's going to just do the rest for itself. And that's just not true. So now we have level six, seven, and eight, where we start to actually ascend the customer and excite them about their purchase, right? We get them to then become an advocate, right? In level, in level seven. And then number eight, we actually get them to do the marketing for us. And so, and so, so we see brands all over the place, not doing those steps and customer acquisition cost is getting insane, right? Customer acquisition cost is is outstripping a lot of people's customer lifetime value, right? They're not really able to make money. And so it makes like no sense right now to be on Facebook trying to acquire new customers for a lot of people. Now there are agencies out there. I would say our agency Upgrowth Commerce is one of those that is doing a really good job to bring customer acquisition costs down. But guys, it's only going up, right? It's not going back down to the heyday of what it was with Facebook. Now with Performance Max, I, I will argue that that things have come incredibly down and no one's really talking about performance max right now. Anyway, let's, we'll, we'll get into that after what I really believe in to ascend people into level six, seven, and eight is building community, right? Building community is where you get that excitement. Now community is not an email list, right? Community is not your SMS list, right? Community is where people can actually talk to each other. Right? It's not a one-to-many platform. It's a many-to-many -many platform. It's where they're talking to each other in community. So be that a Facebook group, be that Slack, be that any, any of the other platforms that are out there. Discord is another one for, it seems like that younger gamers and stuff are using Discord. Whatever that is, building that community is incredibly, incredibly important and building out that VIP community around a shared cause. Now, I want to give you two examples. So Little and Lively is, is a brand that people just absolutely love. They love our clothes. They love the, the special fabric. We've got a, a trademark fabric, Soothe Knit, that we use. That's a you know, special blend that only we've made. People love the brand. And it's a strong enough brand that we can build a community around the brand itself because people love the product so much. So that, that type of VIP group. Now, another brand that we own called Keep Nature Wild down out of Mesa, Arizona. We actually have people who go and pick up trash as part of our mission and they're wild keepers. And so that community is built around the outdoors and around going and picking up trash. So two totally different kinds of communities, both serve incredible purposes. Keep Nature Wild uh, probably is at the place where we could just have a standalone because people really do love the brand. But we've got such an incredible following with our wild keepers that we kind of keep it like that. So those are kind of two examples of types of communities. Yeah, I've actually, that, that triggered in my mind, there, there are two other examples in particular for the kids space because kids, and, and I have two young kids as well, like buying new clothes just doesn't 
it seems almost frivolous at times just because it, it doesn't last that long. Brand called Rags, which is kind of like onesies for kids. They have they have a very fervent like resale market. So people will will buy and they kind of do limited edition drops. And so it's almost like what the streetwear brands do. And and so yeah. you get it and then you, you resell it. You almost make, you know, recoup your initial purchase cost back. And then there's another brand and I, it's it's blanking on me, but it's uh, like folding kids sofas. And they're like all the rage now, uh, yeah. or, or they ru- were. Ruin you? I don't. That's think that's it is. the Canadian version of, of the little folding sofas. I know. Okay, uh, and and yeah. actually, the Facebook group. I I think. It, I, I will have to look up the name of the brand, but then they have one like brand after dark where it's like, you know, parents, you know, doing their thing with the, the sofas and one oh, way, you fun, know, what are, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is to to build community, I suppose, is is right. And it kind of like keeps people the product in mind and then people talking about the product. But how are you how are you measuring community? And then how are you kind of like making sure that it stays alive and, and active and valuable? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, different metrics that we're looking at are lots of times engagement rate, right, within the community itself. We make sure to UTM every single link that we put in the community. Another way that we kind of measure the efficacy of our communities is with gated launches. So gated launches are where we actually password protect the website and we only give the password. So we'll password protect it for, say, two hours at the beginning of a launch. We'll only give the password to our VIPs. So we know through them. So we recently had one of these, I believe it was like July 7th. We had one where we were doing an end of season sale. We we gave the password to our community. First hour was all that we gave it to them. We did about 30,000 in sales in that first hour. And people, so people had to actually find the password, go in. We've had times where, where in the first 24 hours, we've done $250,000 of sales with a gated website, right? So it's absolutely astounding what you can do when your community absolutely loves you and is banging down the doors to make sure that they get your product. So we we have a very similar method with the streetwear brands, right? Where we, some of the most popular items, we make sure to have limited stock. Sometimes we'll, we'll restock those, but it really builds up that, that FOMO. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. What you're describing is actually very much the playbook of Web3 brands in terms of, and, and Shopify just rolled that out in their newest release, token gated commerce. Yeah. If, you know, say a little and lively, for example, has an NFT. So it, it could be tracking loyalty. It could be tracking purchases, but yeah. basically if you, you don't even need to buy the NFT. You could airdrop it to them. And then if they're a holder of that NFT, which basically validates that they are one of the community and, and maybe you have tiers of it, then they get access to it. And so Shopify is rolling out the feature where they can, you'd have to have the NFT. It, it's verified in, in five new features yeah. and then they can purchase, which is really interesting. And then also web three brands are very reliant on community. I mean, that's like, I guess if you're talking about Ryan Dice and digital marketers, like level eight, that's how, yes. you know, web three NFT projects grow is a lot of word of mouth. Downside is once the hype wears off, <laughs> then it's very hard to, uh, to kind of like drive the momentum because you have to maintain the hype, you know, throughout because you're relying on the community to evangelize and, and share that. But anyway, my, my point is that NFT projects are getting a lot of traction with community and with gated commerce. Yes. Yes, ab- absolutely. And it totally makes sense. I, I think, I think that you're right on the web three side and we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think it's very hard to maintain that value when the market tanks and all crypto is down, right? I think that's really difficult. You know, we were talking about doing an NFT at one point at Little and Lively. And the problem was our audience isn't even on TikTok, 
they're not even like so so <laughs> the, the reason i say not even on tiktok is like yeah right that they have crypto wallets right now right like they're not they haven't even moved on from instagram over to tiktok right like so so you really have to pick and choose who your audience is that is going to buy an nft right now i wouldn't launch an nft but that's just that's the space that we're in right yeah. now right where where a lot more difficult whereas you know if you launched six months ago you were just golden totally and i, I think like why not you can password protect it same same functionality is there it's, it's still accelerates the FOMO. But yeah, yeah, let's talk about a performance max. I'm actually not familiar with performance max at all. Nobody's talking about, I don't know it. So can you just explain what you mean by performance max? Absolutely. So really when I heard about performance max for the first time, I was actually listening to one of digital marketers podcasts, which I've listened to for, I don't even know how many years. They have a new, a few new hosts on there. One of them is Kasim Aslam and he is talking about performance max. He runs one of the biggest Google ads agencies in the world, Solate. And he was actually on the Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce podcast recently as well. And we talked all about PMAX, something that we are going absolutely head over heels for at Upgrowth Commerce, our agency, because we really see the incredible results. So let me walk you through what Performance Max is. Essentially, it's the aggregation of all of Google's data over the years. Think about like, like a meme almost of, you know, Facebook getting this like slap on the wrist for all the data that they, and yet Google has something like, now this is what Cosmo has said, and I haven't verified this, but it's something like 70,000 times the amount of data points on you than Facebook does. That's the, that's the amount of data that Google has on you at one point. Now, this is the first time that they've ever really used all of that data for you to be able to then actually get new customers. And because for so long, Google was just bottom of funnel, right? It was like, oh, we're just gonna run these search ads. We're gonna run shopping ads. And lo lots of it was bottom of funnel. Lots of it was, you know, branded keywords and, and all of this kind of stuff, just trying to protect your brand. And yeah, we were seeing some results. It was kind of not really scalable as far as, as we could tell. Now, Performance Max has changed all of that. Marketers hate Performance Max, sorry. Google marketers hate performance max because it takes all control away comparatively to before, right? So before you could like, you'd have like broad match, modified, exact match, all these like different things. And one ad would show up for this and one ad would show up for that. What you're doing now is you're really trusting the robot to be able to, to serve up the right ad to the right person. Now, what Google is saying is that a, a, the average customer that knows nothing about you needs 500 touch points which is crazy. I mean, we used to talk about 20 to 30 was a lot, right? That we needed. And Google is saying that they need around 500 touch points with your brand. Well, Google is everywhere on the web, right? They're at, they're absolutely everywhere. And so they know where to, where to hit people. I want to give you a little example. So June through July of 2022, our new customer acquisition cost was a fifth of what it is on Facebook with performance max, a fifth. We're, we're getting customers for like, like $17 new customers. And we're verifying all of that through triple whale. Like it's, it's like nothing I have ever seen before. So what it does is it, it aggregates your, so you set up an asset group within a performance max campaign. You can have up to a hundred asset groups within that campaign. And the whole idea is that you're trying to match up. It's very similar to Facebook advertising. So you're actually ma matching up asset groups versus audience signals. And so you're telling, you're telling Google, Hey, these are, this is kind of the audience that we're going after. You can also upload and can and have to, or should upload all of your customer data into Google. 
to give them a signal as well, right? So saying, hey, this is actually the kind of person who buys this type of product, right? So you're matching up five YouTube ads, 20 images, five headlines, five descriptions, and then you're leaving URL, URL expansion on. And so everywhere where Google is, you will show up, whether that's search, whether that's shopping, Google knows what ad to serve. The reason that Google marketers hate it is it takes all control away from them on the things that they used to be good at, right? Facebook marketers love it because it's like Facebook for Google, where you're like, oh, I can actually be a marketer here. Like my ad copy actually matters, right? Mm. My images actually matter. That's why Performance Max is an absolute game changer. And I, I'm astounded at the amount of people who are going against Performance Max because they don't have control and they're letting Google have control. And so they're like, no, I won't do it. Won't do it. Well, I'll take that CPA any day. Like we're making money hand over fist with Performance Max. And I don't understand how people aren't uh, getting on board. And it's okay. I'm okay with people not getting on board right now because I think in a year, people are going to realize, oh my gosh, this is Facebook in 2015. Yeah. So it's, it's basically like the arbitrage opportunity is there where if I can just reiterate so that it makes sure I understand you, you are uploading the creative assets, whether that is a Google property like YouTube, or I assume Google display network. So it's going to be maybe like, that's where your creative shows up, or it could be a, a text ad like for search yeah. engines or, yeah. or, or, you know, Google search. And then from there, Google is taking their, their supply side, basically like the person who the customer who's shopping and pairing it up based on their behavior, their interest, their demographic, all, all, all these things, these, these yeah, their search 70. behavior their Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, this is anywhere from top of funnel, like brand awareness stuff all the way to bottom of funnel. I'm looking for, you know, a onesie for a three-year-old girl. Exactly. It's the entire, the entire funnel. Right. And again, this is why a lot of Google marketers hate it because they can't split things up anymore. Right. Uh, what, what, what happens is a lot of Google marketers will go in and they'll create multiple campaigns that, you know, go like the, the old school method of advertising was these single keyword aggregate skags, they were called, mm. right. Where it was like, you know, this one phrase that you're going to match to this one ad and that's your entire ad group. And then you're going to scale that ad group up that that is dead. That is dead. Google, like that, that's just not how Google works anymore, right? Google has gotten so ridiculously smart that they'll do it all for you. You put on URL expansion, they, they know what that customer needs to see before they buy. Maybe it's a, a blog post on your website that they need to see before they buy. Google knows, and they will send them to that, that particular one. It's incredible when you pair Triple Whale with Performance Max, because you can actually see what websites Google is sending them to in their journey. On, on Triple Whale, which is an incredible analytics platform, absolutely love Triple. They show you the overlap of the different platforms, uh, the paid paid ads platforms. And so for us, before we really started to go hard on Performance Max, it was, you know, Facebook was this big, this big circle with a bit of overlap on Google. And it was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's just, that overlap is probably some branded keywords people found out about us on Facebook. It is completely flipped. Google is the massive circle now. It is the huge circle and Facebook is taking up just a little bit over there. And we're just continuing to scale and scale and scale and scale. It is phenomenal. That, that is, that's really exciting. I kind of want to try for myself about setting your, your bids or your budgets before, you know, it, it's obviously cost per click or you could optimize for cost per acquisition. And then you kind of like stay within that threshold. How, how does it work with performance max? So the best way to set up performance max, and again, this is from, from my experience, from cost Muslim as well. The, the best way to set it up is maximize conversions 
and do not have a target return on ad spend. Do not have that. Leave that off. Let the, let the robot do what it's going to do. Let the machine just go out and find those customers and then start to scale up from there, right? So, so say you're starting at $300 a day. Now, this is one of the really ridiculously hard things. Whatever you start with, budget-wise, creative-wise, you have to leave for three weeks. You have to let the machine learn for three weeks. And that's really hard for a lot of people. And that includes your budget, right? So you need to make sure that you've got a budget that you're willing to spend, right? And willing for Google to learn. But in my experience, it happens ridiculously fast. It's just a matter of making sure you have enough asset groups within your campaign. Now, single campaign, guys, do not break this out into different campaigns. Single campaign for performance max. That, that's another thing where people get really it becomes very difficult. So biggest things, don't touch it. Give a budget that you're willing to spend and then start to see the results roll in. Fascinating. So right now, I mean, you mentioned $17 cost per acquisition. I don't know what you were comparing that to before, but is it ideal as well? Like you're sending, like the destination URL is a product description page or are you sending them to kind of like capture an email and SMS and then the conversion comes after your your flows or your automations run? No, no, that's $17 CPA. That's a purchase on, and our customer lifetime value is $480. So uh, th this is this is like, this is two products. It's, it's I, I, I'm having a hard time even trying to like understand how it works exactly because it combines shopping, it combines search. It's, we don't actually know exactly the ads that people are coming in on. A another interesting, crazy note from, this is again from Cosm Aslam, was that in Google Shopping, what has been proven over years is that people do not buy the product that they're looking for. They do not buy the product that they click into your website on, right? And that's something that people have a really hard time understanding on their website, especially when we talk to, you know, at, at Upgrowth Commerce, a lot of times we talk to brands that they really think that they know the customer journey, but Statistically, they actually don't know the customer journey. They don't understand that brand is such an important part of, of all of this, right? So this is not like what I'm saying, guys, if there's people out there who don't have a brand, don't do this. Do not do performance max. Just keep doing Facebook, TikTok. If you're just trying to sell products, just do that. Be on Amazon. If you're a brand, this is for you, right? This is, this is really where all of your different pieces will come together to sell for you. Mm. I mean, everybody can, or most, I assume, are aspiring to be a brand. How would you quantify that? I would say when you're when you're more when you're less well known for your individual product, right? And you're actually building something. So community brands have community. Brands have loyal followers. Brands have ambassadors, right? Brands have all of these things. People love brands, right? Brands are not single products, unfortunately. Mm. Right, right. Right. Okay. Yeah, brands are not necessarily widgets that you might find on Amazon only. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I hear you loud and clear. So another thing that I thought was really interesting that was a pillar of your success with the brand is SMS marketing, where you made $100,000, $109,000 with an SMS campaign. And this is, it seems like it was a transition from Facebook or Facebook Messenger as your channel and then once that kind of started to be deprecated, moving it over to SMS. I'd love to hear more about your learnings of running SMS campaigns, wins, losses, strategies that you, you implement with your clients. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you've got to think of SMS as a notification channel, right? It's not a big education channel the same way that email is. So a lot of people, you, you know, what they're thinking now is like, oh, SMS is around. I'm not going to focus on email. No, 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 no. You need to have email and SMS together. Think of SMS as that immediate notification type of type of marketing, right? So SMS needs to be short, punchy. I always recommend trying to stick within the 160 characters. First of all, for cost wise, because these SMS platforms are getting more and more expensive, right? Especially as valuations rise with Attentive and Postscript and all these guys are trying to go public at some point, right? So they're, they're going to, you know, hook you in for lower prices and then, and then continue to raise them after that. But, but the, the big thing with SMS is just, you're, you're really just trying to get people to click from your SMS list over, sorry, from your SMS notification straight onto your website. So whatever you need to do to, to, in as few words as possible, get them over there, the better. Now, some things to note, do not send more than one SMS a week, right? That is, that is a big thing. People don't want to hear from you that often, right? One SMS max a week. You can also have, you know, abandoned cart that works really well. Do it for shipping notifications, make it as natural as possible and give people an opportunity to opt out often, right? That's a really big, really big thing. We actually use our SMS as the notification arm of our VIP groups as well. So if somebody signs up for SMS, they're in our VIP group. And then we try to make sure we push them into the Facebook group or the Slack group or wherever that is. But really, we don't want the SMS just to be another marketing channel. We want it to be a VIP marketing channel because people don't like getting texts from people they don't know. Yeah, totally. I, I, it's super high open rate. I don't know how true it is of like 90, 95% open rate. I don't, I'm curious to know what you're seeing. But yeah, it, it could be pestering, which is where I think segmentation might come in so that at least you're selling relevant things, sending relevant messages and not like, oh, hey, <laughs> happy yes. Tuesday. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, making sure that you're segmented, especially if you have multiple product lines. You know, say for instance, at the Kindred Studio, which houses Little and Lively, we have three other brands. We don't want to necessarily send you know, one of the, the brands that we have, they're called Beck and Jet and they're, they're hair bows. We don't want to send the hair bow people or we don't want to send the entire list an SMS about hair bows, right? Like not everybody on that list, their kids are in that stage. So we make sure that we tag people, you know, zero to a year female purchasers, right? So that we know, okay, we can send hair bow advertisement to them or hair bow SMS to them. Segmenting is incredibly important. Also for cost wise guys, like it's, it's adding SMS is a massive cost to just think about just double basically whatever you're spending on email will be your cost on SMS, but it is highly worthwhile. For sure. I mean, yeah, I, I assume it would exceed hundred percent ROI. So it's, it's an investment maybe. Yes. Yes. My last question I was curious about, you've run these podcasts, hundreds of episodes in from scaling e-commerce brands. I'd love to, to know maybe like maybe outside of performance max, which sounds like a huge tip, what some of the, the most compelling and cogent takeaways that you've learned applicable to Little and Lively and other e-commerce brands that you've picked up from, from your conversations in e-commerce marketing? Yeah, absolutely. Such a good question. So I would say the, the, the biggest thing that I've learned after, you know, we're at 360 or 370 episodes right now. So I've had a lot of interviews with a lot of incredible founders. The founders who are doing the best are the ones that are able to pivot the most. In 2022, this has been brutal, guys. Absolutely brutal. If people are telling you it's not brutal, they aren't in e-com, right? Or they don't have a brand that's actually built up. I just chatted with somebody before this, really big brand. They're in every single kind of wholesaler that you can think of, Whole Foods, all these like crazy places and they're down 30% year over year. And they're a great brand, an absolutely great brand. We're seeing that across the board. Our brands are breaking even comparatively to last year or up, but it's only because we pivoted so much. 
So the, the founders that I'm seeing doing the best and the ones that I've seen over the years that are doing the best are the ones that are able to easily pivot into new areas that are working and not necessarily think that the old tried and true, the ones that aren't working right now are still thinking that organic Instagram is going to bring them a ton of customers. You know, mm. that ship sailed years ago, right? And and th now those people are trying to get on Facebook ads, right? And it's like, well, guys, you're just, you're kind of late to the party, right? The people who are doing well are the ones that are fine to test new things out, like Performance Max, right? That's that's the the big thing. Got it. So yeah, the, 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 the channels where they're still upside, they're still arbitrage Performance Max, so maybe like Google's automated paid ads platform. I assume organic TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. I don't have backend info, but I would assume organic TikTok, maybe, maybe paid TikTok and then communities, which and communities are more of an investment of resources and time and energy. And maybe not so much like quantified dollar in, two dollars out. But I from from the conversation, it seems like those are the main takeaways where you're seeing tremendous upside still. Absolutely. One other place that we're seeing incredible upside is ambassadors. We started an ambassador group about three months ago and we started because Dovetail became free with Shopify. So we're like, oh, okay, awesome. Let's use Dovetail. It was great acquisition by Shopify, much better than their 3PL acquisition, in my opinion, as a shareholder and one who has lost a lot of money on Shopify in the last couple of years. So Dove, Dovetail is incredible for being able to track. Again, I think we started it about two or three months ago. We've had about 70,000 of revenue just from ambassadors codes, which is phenomenal. This is a group of hundred people. We are going to scale our ambassadors again to them. It's incredible because the ambassadors actually purchase their clothes. We give them 30% off. There are super fans. They have to post a certain amount of times. What's ended up happening is we are swimming in user-generated content. We, we use another app called the Archive app and Archive will pull everything that we're tagged in that we can then download. And every single week we have anywhere from 50 to 200 new TikToks or reels that we can use. Like just phenomenal. And not, not all of them are usable, obviously, but it's incredible. We do challenges within there for them to get it out to their audiences and all sorts of stuff. It is phenomenal. Highly suggested. If you guys want help on that, that is something that we do at Upgrowth Commerce as well as help people build ambassador groups. Man, that, that's the alpha. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for sharing that. So yeah, what's the best way to, to learn more or get in touch with you? Yes, absolutely. Connect with me on LinkedIn, search Jordan West Marketer. That is the, the best way. Though, uh, as of today, I, I got put in LinkedIn jail for some reason, had to verify my identity. Not sure why. I post like three or four times a day on LinkedIn. So I'm not sure how that happened. I, it will be back, I'm sure. And then the, the next place is going to upgrowthcommerce.com and booking a call with us. That's the, the next best place to be able to reach out and especially talk performance max ambassadors, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So exciting. Jordan, thanks so much for sharing everything. Yes, yes. I really appreciate you having me on. And that's the episode for today. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you for it. If you found anything valuable at all or want to share your feedback, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also just drop us a line, hello at cartoverflow.com. We'd love to hear your feedback or suggestions so we can cover it in a future episode. All right, see you next time.